Welcome to the Pitching Nerd Show, where we get nerdy about the art of pitching. I'm your host, Sean Kitzman, a.k.a. The Pitching Nerd. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Sean Kitzman here from The Pitching Nerd Show. I have on my good friend, Rocky Snyder. This is episode eight. Eight. Rocky is a Jedi Knight of movement retraining and also an author. He's a fantastic dude who actually happens to, on the side, do surf forecasting. I've heard this. This is a pretty tremendous thing that I've heard. Um, so what we're going to talk about today with Rocky is we're going to talk about, uh, A, he's got a fantastic book for the people in the baseball community out there that want to understand some of the things that I talk about and think about. Rocky is on the list of people that I really suggest that you follow. Um, we're going to talk about his love of an awful baseball team and uh, where he came from. And then we will talk about, you know, his work and what he's doing and how he's been influenced over the last, well, Rocky, you're probably, what, about 22 now, right? You're a handsome man. Yeah. You are. <laughs> so, Rocky, how are you doing this morning, man? No, I couldn't be. Honestly, all things considered, I'm doing great. I'm in week 10 of shelter in place in Santa Cruz, California, and that means I get to surf. So I lock myself into my <laughs> studio, do as much work as I can, yeah. and then run home, grab the kids, grab the boards, and go to the beach and wash away my day. So yeah. life is good. That's pretty. That sounds like a pretty rough day, man. It's harsh. It yeah, is. It I, don't, is. I don't even Our know how you... forecast right now. Yeah. We've got some background swell, a little south swell came in from the South Pacific, and it's been lingering for several days. We've got waist-to-chest high lines coming through Ooh. like marching corduroy to the coast. Oh, that's perfect, dude. That, and so for the people who don't know Rocky, we met uh, about three years ago in Vancouver, and uh, some friends of mine and I got to the to – the, uh, at a continuing education course, and some friends of mine got to the hotel conference room early, and we walked in, and we heard Rocky doing this thing, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? You know, like it was so cool. So, yeah, every every morning I just phone in for Central Coast of California. There's a couple of radio stations, and I do the surf and ski report. But these days the resorts are, are down. Of course, right. ski season's pretty much come to an end anyway. Even those resorts that kind of stretch out into July. But uh, yeah, I do. I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. <laughs> That's so cool, man. That's so cool. Yeah, so I, I started when I was two, according to you. Yeah, That's of course. Good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, you're originally from Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Do we want to talk about the Red Sox now, or do you want to just slam them later? We could do either way. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I didn't even – I wasn't even going to bring they, – there's still a team in, in Massachusetts? I didn't even know. Well, they're not they're, – currently, they're, they're defunct. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're playing, much like the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think the Yankees are a little bit – you know, it's funny. When you look at the numbers, why shouldn't it be a competition between New York and Massachusetts right now with COVID? Oh, um, right, know? right. I mean, we've got sports. Why not put competitive infections into the mix? Absolutely, why not? You know, just go nuts. We're both not there, so it doesn't matter to us, you know? It, yeah, I'm stuck with the, the Giants and the A's. Yeah. So, still, so the answer is yes, I'm still a Red Sox fan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you grew up in Massachusetts. Um, when did you kind of break into the industry? Because I mean, I mean, being 22, it's amazing how you're able to go back and, and do stuff like in the eighties, but still be 22. So, 
Like, yes, just add 30 years and you got the right number. Yeah, perfect, perfect. You know, I started out, honestly, I uh, growing up in New England, you can relate to this, being a Minnesota boy, you've got four seasons. Yep. And I don't know about you guys, but in the summertime, you pull out right at the end of spring, you pull out your summer clothes out of the attic or the eaves, oh, for sure. and then you put away your winter clothes. And then so, so the seasons are always changing, therefore the sports are always changing. And, and my dad got tired of hearing the back door slam, and he said, you choose one or the other, in or out. And I chose out. <laughs> sure. I just, I wanted to get out and enjoy nature and, and all the pickup sports I could. And it wasn't until my teenage years, I had a buddy of mine said, hey, let's go to a gym. And I thought that was the worst idea you could possibly think sure. of. And I want to be out, and you're telling me to go in to get exercise. But what I followed him, and I loved it. It was this little rustic chicken coop yeah. and it was like the old school gyms yeah. and so were the guys that were in there with their white feeder tank tops yeah. and their blue jeans all greased up with their work boots no one had workout clothes and forget about a towel you just kind of smeared <laughs> off the grime <laughs> off the bench with your knee or something and if you want water if you're one of those guys right. that gets water there's a hose around the back <laughs> that you can suck on right that's basically it i loved it i thought sure. this is awesome Plus, I was paving asphalt for my cousin's business on the side there to get me some money in the summertime uh -huh. to get through school and all that. And so between hip hefting wheelbarrows filled with asphalt and only standing a few inch, uh, an inch or so over <laughs> five feet, they put me in the, the hottest corners to tamp down the asphalt. It was a hell of a workout. And then you go to the gym. I mean, my body changed dramatically. I had the foundation of wrestling and gymnastics to mm -hmm. add to that, so I, I just sprouted. As you know, I, I grow wider than I do taller, so and and so my width increased dramatically that year. I and then that's it. Yeah, I forgot that you were a wrestler. I I knew that, but I forgot that. I remembered the gymnast part. So funny enough, my jiu-jitsu coach here um, uh, was an all-American gymnast and all-American wrestler. Um, he went to University of Minnesota uh, as a wrestler. Yeah, so another guy that likes to wear tights. I get it. Yes, I totally yeah, get yeah. it. I mean, very svelte, very yeah. form-fitting. And, and coach yeah. isn't much taller than you are, by the way. So, Well, we gravitate toward what we're good at. Like, yeah. You're rock climbing, surfing, snowboarding, yep. any individual sports that don't rely on the, the, the help of others. I'm, yep. I, I don't get along with my peers, I guess. So, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, when it comes to gymnastics and wrestling, they fall in the same season. Sure. So. I, I was in a conundrum. Do I work out with guys who are sweaty and, and just stinky, or do I work out with women in leotards? So I went gymnastics. Yeah, that's yep. a smart route, man. That's smart and then route. I went, and, and I actually, I studied ballet at the university. All my guy friends are going, what are, you, what are we talking here? Mm -hmm. I say, you guys don't understand. I'm, I'm waking up in the morning, and I'm going into a room filled with women in leotards. They, they finally got it. They're like, dude, you're... You're a genius. Yeah. yeah. Where did you was, Where did you go to college? Uh, University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Okay. Cool. The UMass Minutemen. And then, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I know them. I know the Minutemen. I've seen them in the NCAA tournament every once in a while. Yeah, I was leaving. Uh, I graduated in '90, and Marcus Canby, yeah, who later sure. on to Vancouver Grizzlies and other yep. places. Marcus was going to be. I think he was a freshman as I was leaving. Yeah. And and we made it to the Sweet Sixteen, Elite yeah. Eight, and all that. It was fantastic. Rod Padilla and yep. the whole gang. It was great. Yeah, the so, Canby man can. That was his. That was oh. his thing, right? That's it exactly. Yeah. No, so, I I remember so I remember when he was in the tournament. I that was like at the height of my 
um, like basketball obsession. The mid to late nineties, I was in even, well, yeah, probably from about 90, well, like 88 to 89 when the, when the bad boy Pistons kind of came around. Um, and yeah. then all the way into, yeah, right. That was great. Yeah. Um, forget. No, really, really. Were you a, are you a Pistons fan with oh, Lane Beer and all that? Yeah. Well, I'm originally from Michigan. So yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh. dude. I'd love, but, but I mean, come on, man. Like you guys yeah, had Danny I, Ainge, actually, right? I, that was the team to hate. I, they were the bad boys. All right. Yeah. And of course, growing up in Boston, I mean, the Celtics reigned supreme. We right. have this kind of running joke that the Celtics were was that was your true love, and, and, and as if we could relate it to relationships. Right. And the Patriots, the Patriots at that time, they were always a disappointment. Like yep. it, it was just the worst date you could imagine. Yep. And uh, you got the Red Sox, and they were all hot and heavy. But when right. it came all down to it, it just fizzled out in the end. And the Bruins, they were like that 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 person you dated back in high school who was always kind of around. And if you needed something to do on a night, right. You could always call up. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but I mean like you guys had Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge. If, if Danny oh, yeah. Ainge didn't play on your team, you hated Danny Ainge. And oh. though he wasn't as, he wasn't as polarizing as Bill Ambeer was, he was still pretty damn polarizing. Cause I hated that dude, man. As a Pistons fan, I hated him, but yeah. I loved him to have him on my team as an athlete. He was the most amazing athlete, For the sure. most all around. You know, he was with the Toronto Blue yeah. Jays, and then of course he 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 was the most amazing athlete for any sport. Yeah. He played so many sports. If you ever look up his background, yep. it's not just basketball or baseball. Like everything he touched yeah. turned to gold. Every team he was on was all star. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and yes, yeah, he was a crybaby bad boy sometimes, and and we needed him every now and then. If you had a lame beer, we needed somebody else. Yep. You know, yeah. Rambus, we needed somebody else. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, no, I mean, like that was my, that was like the, the. I mean, I would, I lived for basketball at that time, man, like, and and just loved it. So yeah, I remember Marcus Camby and his his time at UMass for sure. So, so what good. was your, what was your, what did you study at UMass? I studied everything. I, it was the you would spin the wheel of majors, and every <laughs> semester, you know, whatever it landed on, that's what I'm doing. Okay, major in fine arts for a few semesters, you got it. Let's spin it again. Oh, geology and geography, that sounds good. With a minor <laughs> in climatology, let's try early childhood education. After a while, the my my advisor, who I I didn't know I even had one until like later in life, he said, you know, you're gonna have to graduate sometime. <laughs> Let's look at what you've been taking. Oh, well, there's comparative literature and Shakespeare and some writing. You know, you could be an English major. Why not? Just took some foreign language, which, of course, that makes no sense to me. I want to be an English <laughs> major, so I have to take a language other than English. Whatever. I did it, and I graduated. I can't believe it. I still have those dreams where you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat going, you didn't really graduate. You still have one course remaining. The professor didn't turn in your <laughs> You know, sure. here we are, whatever, 30 years later. But, yeah, that's what – I was a literature, Bachelor of Arts. And, mm -hmm. of course, you know, when I graduated, they said, oh, so you want to be a teacher? No, I, I have no idea what I want to be. And fortunately, I had some friends that were heading out to California at the time after graduating the university. I, I got a job at Old Faithful area in Yellowstone. I lived oh. in a log cabin. I was living the dream outdoors, mountain climbing, rock climbing, Grand Tetons, hiking in the back country on the weekends through Yellowstone. And some friends came through. They said, hey, we're, we're heading to California. Come on out and visit. And I haven't left since. That was the, a year after the San Francisco earthquake. Oh. You remember? 
for that because yeah. the World Series, yeah. it was Giants against the A's, yeah. and everything went sideways about 5.15 in the evening, and a 6.9 earthquake, at this, the epicenter of which, interestingly enough, is, as the crow flies, about a mile from my house. So I, I live, yeah. yes, yeah, I live right in Earthquake Central. We're right on the fault line there, and every now and then I get a rumble, and I just hope it's it's my wife waking up at three a.m. But no, she's sound asleep, and so I just go back to sleep. That's it, dude. I'm I'm super impressed though. Like, I mean, on the on the East Coast, you have to deal with some some weather issues, obviously with hurricanes, but um, but I don't know about the ground shaking, man. Like, I don't I don't know, and I don't know about a lot of water coming in either. I was so when I was. This coming from a guy from Michigan who's flooding right now? Yeah. I know you're soda, but... I yeah, mean, no, on. I mean, that's some craziness. Like, and that the sad part about that with the Titabawasi, uh, that, that bridge collapse, or the dam collapsing is, dude, that yeah. is in the middle of nowhere, and it is, I mean, it, like, that area of Michigan, there's not a lot of very, like, like, economically stable areas of Michigan, that is a very, very unstable economic, financially unstable area of Michigan. That is going to so Michigan is trying to really be like Minnesota, the land of lakes, is what you're saying. <clears throat> well, yeah, we have a ton of lakes in Michigan. It's funny because oh, w- yeah. when we moved here, when we moved here four years ago, um, we would we would move here and and people would be like, oh, um, so you're from Michigan, huh? Yeah. Well, what do you think about all the lakes around here? And I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Like. Do you understand anything about like we we're have surrounded by the biggest lake in the world? Right, there, we we have we have we're surrounded. It's the Great Lake State. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, yeah, you should just say, oh, they're pretty small. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 just little ponds. Yeah, but no, the ground moving. Look, I tell people, oh, you live in Florida. Oh, I see. So every year you have to nail, you have to do some biting of your nails sure. every time a storm comes through. And even if it isn't a massive hurricane, it's still a tropical storm, thunder and lightning, and so on. We never get that. We get fog in the morning. It burns off to a beautiful blue sky day where you don't right. see a cloud in sight. It's going to be sixty-five to seventy-five almost all year round. Right. And every eighty-six years, the ground moves significantly. I think I can deal with that. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like it's like as long as I'm living in between those eighty-six. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. So you move out to California. Um, you you packed up the truck and moved out to Beverly there. So I totally did the hillbilly thing. <coughs> I, I yeah, actually at the time Greyhound bus was having a special sixty-nine dollars anywhere it goes. I highly recommend that for anyone that wants to see the down and destitute and, oh, and really traveling by buses like, especially when the smoking ban just just came into play. Right. So fist fights were breaking out on board. It was a wonderful experience to see America in that fashion. I'm but sure. I came out here and I got a job not long after in a family-owned health club. There were like four locations. Okay. And at that time, personal training was just something was starting to kind of bubble to the surface uh-huh. in all the urban areas like – Manhattan, Los Angeles, maybe Boston, and so on. Uh, but there was a guy from Southern California that came up to the health club, got hired, and and wanted to develop a personal training program. And he selected myself and this other guy. At the time, I was kind of like 
supervisor of the exercise areas and so on. And so lo and behold, over the course of time he left, I took over the personal training program, became the, the fitness director for all the clubs. And then within a year time, I figured, you know, I would really like to try something on my own. So I opened up a studio in 96 and have been in operation since then. So almost, well, 24, we're, I guess we're into our 25th year or something like that. Holy crap. <clears throat> have you had the same location the whole time or, or has that been a process of? I have been in the same intersection, okay. but yep. I have relocated yep. three, yeah, two yep. or three times now. Yeah, very cool. And the same area. And if if I was to live anywhere in California, because I've been, I've been to quite a few places in California. Um, God, man, I I don't know that I I would live anywhere other than Santa Cruz. I mean, like it, I loved when we came out for uh, Anatomy in Motion a couple years ago. Um, oh my gosh, I've instantly fell in love with Santa Cruz. It's got everything. I mean, obviously, it's a mecca for a few for for a few for different sure. Kinds activities like of course surfing is very well known this is surf city uh, it, but we've got the Santa Cruz mountains that separate us from Silicon Valley and there is some top-notch mountain biking sure. involved in these mountains and also if you're into disc golf like you like disc uh, frisbee golf then the world champions occur here typically every year and there are some amazing courses here and uh, yeah, and then our our cycling. If you're really into road cycling, you'll know Santa Cruz because yep. a lot of the things coming out of the for the bike industry, yep. helmets and frames and, and top notch bikes are manufactured right here. So, well, and I mean, you're you're also forgetting the Santa Cruz Skateboard Company. I mean, like that is. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I had to leave, I, I once I once we were down at the conference, you know, and we, we were there at Enemy Motion. I walked by it one day with Marsha and Maria, and I was like, "Oh, I got to go spend some time in there by myself. I'm not going <laughs> to drag you guys in there." I mean, I legit spent probably two hours in there, reliving most of the late '80s, early '90s for me, going like. I had that board, and I had that board, and I had that board. God, I wanted that one. Look at that, oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah, TC, he owns the shop right around the corner from yep. the studio here, and he's got a great little museum, plus Rich Novak, who is the founder of NHS. Yep. He, another skateboard manufacturer is right here in Santa Cruz, yep. and in his warehouse right over in the, the cannery area of town, he has a museum there. So yeah. anytime you come back, we'll give Rich a call, and we'll take a, a private tour over there. It's oh, pretty cool. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, pending that they're pending that Anatomy in Motion is back in, you know, next spring, I'll be back again for sure. So, awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you open up your own studio. You've made it. You've arrived. Ninety six. The streets are paved with gold. You got people <laughs> knocking down the door. You're an expert. You you got your Jedi Mastership then, right? Of course, and don't have there to learn anything go. else, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that was that was it, really. No, it it uh, <laughs> that was just the beginning. To be honest, I mean, we've been. Uh, let's just talk about the history of of conditioning. Let's do it, right? man. Because it is kind of absurd when we stop and really set aside why are we doing what we're doing. Like when you go into a gym or health club and you see all the gadgets and machines. Like, where did that all come from? Very few people just stop and wonder about how did this happen? We just grew up in a, a world that these are just to be taken for granted. Yeah. So essentially, conditioning, strength conditioning came about from three primary competitions, like not sports. Sports, as, as far as I'm concerned, a sport is when you have an offense and defense or two teams or individuals trying to combat each other to, for one to 
prove to be triumphant. Yes. And there's always going to be a loser, right? Competition is more about I'm going to do my best and then the judges are going to judge me on that and then you're going to do your best and they'll judge you. For and sure. whatever the judges feel, right, that's a competition like gymnastics uh, or in this case, bodybuilding. Yep. So bodybuilding is where a lot of the stuff came from. On top, aside from that, it was powerlifting, yep. which in the old days used to be called odd lifting, but nowadays powerlifting is the the deadlift, the bench press, and, and the, the squat. Squats. Yep. And then on top of that, now with the higher intensity facilities, the 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 box gym, so to speak, and the crossfits and and similar programs, they really in 2000 exploded with the Olympic lifts. No yep. pun intended, but those explosive lifts, the clean and jerk, and the snatch are now regular parts of our program. Uh, we were doing them before, like I've been with the the National Strength Conditioning Association since the early 90s and got certified through USA Weightlifting mm -hmm. to be a coach with them because I was really digging that. And of course I tried my hand at bodybuilding because that's what you're doing in the yep. gym. But then the, the problem here is that those are competitions that were based on aesthetics, yep. like how big can I get my muscles and how beautiful can I be naked in the mirror or in a Speedo bikini on stage, <laughs> right? Uh, or how much brute force can I actually generate through my body <clears throat> to lift some awkward object off the ground and then throw it back down again, yep. or, or explode with it and then throw it back down. All of these, how well does that really carry into sports? Right. But that's all we had really to go right. on for a lot of guys and a lot of teams. So they hire these strength conditioning specialists and coaches. And what are they using? They're using these tools to try and have a baseball player hit harder or swing faster. And it's just there's a disconnect in my mind as to how these really carry over. Is it any wonder that we're seeing so many sport-related injuries that are non-contact? Yep. You know, how many hamstring pulls do you have to see when somebody's running the bases yep. before you realize, hey, it's not the hamstring's fault, it's right. how it's being conditioned. Right. Why are you doing all these hamstring curls when you never do that in your sport? Right. You know, so that's where I started to scratch my head. I had this guy at a conference at the NSCA back when OJ was, was flying down the 405. I remember because <laughs> I was leaving the lobby of the hotel and they're back home in Southern Cal. There's this white Bronco cruising around. Uh, anyway, I get to this lecture and this guy is talking about muscular balance and function development. And, and I didn't catch on qu quite yet, but then the more I listened, the more I, my jaw started dropping going, Oh my gosh, he's talking about bringing a body back into a balanced place. And that means that the space in between all the joints are going to be their proper place. The muscles won't be too short living in a shortened place or being pulled apart by other muscles. Everything's going to be in this aligned position so the body's going to function or move at its optimal ability. Mm -hmm. And then he starts talking about how the exercises that we're typically giving people in gyms even the powerlifting stuff, the repetitive nature and the development of the body to perform those movements were further pulling us out of alignment mm -hmm. and away from that balance point. And that was creating more compensation, which was going to bring in more irritation and inflammation and tears and, and really just create a weaker frame, even though it can produce great amount of force. It's like having this beautiful house that you've spent all the money and time on a brand new roof and siding and you got the exquisite furniture in there and you've remodeled it but your foundation and the walls are just infested with termites mm. and you're not even paying attention to it sure. you're just concerned about the aesthetics 
So that was the start for me, and that was back in about 94. So he became my first mentor. His name's Jeff Gluckman, uh-huh. and he came up from San Diego, and he at one time was with the Egoscue Method. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with uh-huh. that? Yeah, so Egoscue down in San Diego, he worked with him for a little while, and it was all about realigning the body through movements. And that brought me toward other avenues of alignment and, and three-dimensional movement and breaking away from the dogma that we just found ourselves engrossed in when it comes to the traditional workout, the conventional approach, which unfortunately is still occurring to this day. It's getting better, but if you go to any gym, I mean, honestly, like, I, uh, and this is not to slam the, the high school sports in any way. My daughter, she is a, a football player for Santa Cruz yeah, High. This yeah. is her third, this will hopefully be her third season. She's a kicker and yep. defensive back. And uh, fortunately, the coaches there, they, I talk to them and they say, we would love for you to come in and redevelop this program for conditioning. And uh, here's what we're doing so far. In, in truth, it was like any other high school yeah, conditioning sure. program. It was a bodybuilding routine. Yep. They're going to do chest and shoulders on one day, back and bodies on another. We'll hit legs and abs on another, and uh, we'll have a rest day. I'm like, this is great if you want bodybuilders to go out on the field and just pose for you. But right. if you really want to have powerful, explosive athletes, we're going to change this up completely. And to be honest, last year, the, the, uh, they asked me to come down to the sidelines during the games so that I could do kind of like our anatomy in motion yeah, yeah, stuff and yeah. get the body moving back in because – Athletes would come up cramping or something else would be going on, tweaking here or there. Go see Coach Rock or Coach Magic, whatever they call yeah. me. Do a little bit here and there. And they're like, oh, my God, that feels so much better. Coach, I'm ready to go back in. And the athletic trainer who's a physical therapist, I think she ran out to the field during the entire season maybe three times to, to visit an athlete that was down compared to the other side of the field where sure. the athletic trainer was running out three to four times a game for their <laughs> Well, so. th- that is such an uh, that is such an interesting and unique environment too, because there's probably two other high schools on the face of the planet that that would actually happen at, right? I mean, that's a that that yeah. that having the cohesion between the coaching staff, the players, and God bless that athletic trainer. I mean, because she, she was awesome. She yeah, I mean that is not even that is not even. I mean, you talked to I've I've legit fought with athletic trainers. So I mean, you know. Well, the cool thing about her is that we both studied under another mentor called Gary Gray. Okay, cool, very cool. He's in Michigan, and he has like a what they call a gift fellowship, and she was went back there for the 11, 11 month program. And I did courses throughout his, his educational company. And so we saw a lot of things eye to eye yep. and she was stoked because all she really wanted to do was just, okay, I'll tape, I'll ice, yep. I'll do whatever, you know, PT wise. But when it comes to movement stuff, I'm just sending them over into your end of the table. That's and super that was cool. great. Yeah, it was great. And the team made it the furthest in in school history. They almost became state champions. And uh, it was amazing. In fact, their their star quarterback, they asked me to come in one Friday afternoon and just maybe go through some mobility drills Uh and flexibility stuff with them. And their quarterback could not touch his toes. Uh, In fact, he hadn't been able to touch his toes for his entire life. Granted, he's 17 years old. He hasn't been around that long, but he could never touch his toes. We just did a few things around the ankles. I gave him a couple things around the hips, opened up his spine a little bit, and then we checked. And he just couldn't believe it. In fact, for the rest of the practice, after he left the the conditioning room, they were out on the field. And every night, he'd just stop and drop and touch his toes. I love that, man. Yeah. Yeah. So it was – and then his – of course, 
you you would understand this is that his power in his throwing improved dramatically. For sure. You start opening up the hips, you start yep. opening up the connection, and he just came alive. The first portion of the season wasn't that great, but boy, it just the the team gelled and everyone started moving better. And that is not to say this is all be, in part because of what we were doing in For the sure. facility. But there were a lot fewer injuries, and there was a lot more cohesion in the team, and and they bought into the program, and they loved it. Well, I think that's a really important thing, um, and and it's the thing that the the whole this whole idea with pitching nerd, um, for me, this idea of working with youth athletes or elite level athletes, elite level youth athletes or young adults, you know, I've I've been doing this for the last twelve years now, and um, well, thirteen, and. The thing that I saw when I was working back in Michigan, when I was working with, I worked, I traveled with the nationally competitive boys soccer team for three seasons. I was kind of rocky for that team, um, but a little bit taller and less hair. Um, and so, uh, but the thing that we saw was that if I could keep the guys healthy, then their athleticism and their athletic potential just astronomically astronomically grew because you're getting so many more reps they're playing so much more confidently you know i mean there's just so many positive things that that can happen um for them that all of a sudden you know they're able to do things that they never would have thought were possible oh huge huge yeah all it all boils down to getting their bodies to move better yep right it's not honestly i think to be honest, I, I think that uh, we load the body too quickly. Yes, sir. In conditioning. Yes, sir. And we don't load it enough in rehabilitation. Yes, sir. Just in general. Yes, sir. That's that's the issue there. And and what I mean by that is loading the body too quickly, like with external resistance. Whether you were talking bands or barbells or dumbbells or kettlebells or sandbags, doesn't really matter. What I'm talking about is that the body does not move very well. <laughs> no. And you're just going to load more weight on it. It is like that house that has termites and you're putting siding on it. Right. right? Let's get the body to actually move better. Yeah. Let's get it to respond. And let's let's just work on getting the movement better before we start to really uh, load it with more and more weight. Yeah, for sure. And And then also recognizing too that you know, even though it's one of the things I talk to my guys about all the time, even though we're not loading you per se, you're still throwing at max velo. Your brain doesn't know any difference between a max velo throw and a max velo lift. Exactly that. The the only the only difference is that you can get away with lying to yourself more with a max velo throw until you can't, right? Yes. So yeah. And it'll handle it. It'll handle it for a certain amount of time. One person's going to be different than another. Yep. But it's a time bomb. It's yep. just ticking, waiting. Yep. Yeah. And if you don't sequence correctly, you know. So you know the the the, the funny the funny term that's thrown around the industry is ground force reaction, and they build a top down model, right? Yeah. And so if you don't sequence correctly from the from the ground up, um, then what's going to happen? Eventually, eventually, you're going to put enough stress on that elbow or that shoulder, and it's going to blow up. You know, I mean, that's just what's going to happen. Exactly. So, and and that's that's another thing that we got to talk about is the symptom based approach. For sure. Currently, that is the conventional way of looking at things. Yeah. I mean, you've got the stats on Tommy John surgeries yep. right now, but. 
that's not the issue. No. That, I mean, that's not the area that is prob the problem. Correct. That is the area that's getting beat up because no place else in the body is really doing exactly what it should do. Are the glutes actually decelerating the throwing arm? Right. Are the lats decelerating? Yep. Are all that tissue beginning to slowly lengthen in the way that it needs to? Yep. Or not slowly, but quickly with force to reduce the, de the the amount of force that throwing arm is doing. And if that's not happening, if one glute is a little bit more shortened than the other, or one lat is, if we've got these imbalances going on, then of course other areas are going to try and compensate. And the more that happens, the more throws you take with a compromised body, the more we're gonna see these things explode. So then what happens? They go and they they go to the orthopedic or, or the PT, and where do they look? <clears throat> Immediately at the symptoms spot. Yeah. Where they're complaining of the pain. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's pretty crazy because when you when I start working with guys, it's amazing to me how many of them say relatively quickly, just after we make three points of contact with a foot, oh, I've never felt my drive leg before. Like they thought that they were feeling it because they were internally rotating quickly. But as you know, they would get to a certain point where that internal rotation happened and they couldn't they can't actually extend out of their hips. So they they internally rotate and then their upper half goes. And the whole kin kinematic sequence yep. is thrown for a loop. Shot. And we see it all. I mean, you see it all the time with golfers. Yeah. I mean, talk about rotational forces gone haywire. You know, if they don't have the ability to to lengthen their lats or rotate through their pelvis properly or or properly tilt or, yep. or shift even from laterally side to side, yep. if they can't bear their weight relatively ease from left to right, oh, it, it's going to be nuts. Yeah, so it's – that's 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 the whole premise behind writing this book was can we take can we offer an alternative approach to strength and conditioning one that takes into consideration how your body truly moves you've got 206 bones 360 joints over 630 plus muscles that should all cooperate in a wonderful kind of orchestrated fashion through three-dimensional space and doing bodybuilding, isolated movements over and over, time after time, is not going to achieve the, the desired outcome you're hoping for. So we need to focus on actually how each individual moves. How do they support themselves against gravity, their standing posture, as well as their gait? And yes. how is their pattern of movement? How is that going to dictate what they truly need in their conditioning program? I think as Americans, we want we want things instantly, that instant gratification. And that also means <clears throat> we want to see results with our workouts. We want to see weight loss or muscle growth when that, in essence, is not really the, the fundamental important aspect of what we're really trying to achieve with exercise. And that is longevity. And, and a reduction of pain and improvement of overall performance. And just throwing a barbell on your shoulders and doing a whole bunch of squats or, or ballistic movements, I, I think we're off on the wrong path there. Yeah, I think, I think we need to recognize too that like all of those things are tools. So you know, if you look at the average MLB pitcher, there's a certain range of weight that the average Height and weight, you know. I mean, as we get better at sport, and as we as we actually kind of catch up to the Eastern Bloc people, right? Because the Eastern Bloc people knew this 
you know, way long time ago when they could kind of yeah. put everybody into like little categories, you know, obviously they would make you a basketball player and not a gymnast because you're so tall. Right. I mean, they're, <clears throat> yeah, they're, you know, dude, I could dunk over you. I'll tell yeah, you that right now. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> on one of those, on one of those top buckets. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so, you know, but I mean, they're, 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 as we're kind of studying sport, we're kind of recognizing that there's certain qualities that happen with a guy who can hit these numbers. And so I think that we need to recognize that while <clears throat> Olympic lifts and powerlifting are good for putting on mass and they're good for putting on some level of increasing strength to some level, there also needs to be another conversation of how well does the body move when those adaptations happen? Right. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying those exercises are bad anyway, but if your conditioning program is almost completely uh, composed of bodybuilding, powerlifting and Olympic lifting, then you should be competing in those sports. Yep. Those are fantastic moves that can complement yep. your program, yep. but they should not be the foundation from which you're training. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so, a very, it's a very, they're all very linear movements, right? Yeah. That's the other thing. And most of them are bilateral, right? Yep. You don't run by bringing both legs forward or swinging both arms forward. You don't even swing a bat with, you know, both arms are coming across right. the body, but one's internally rotating while the other one's externally rotating. But all of the, I'll say 90% of the gym routines are comprised of bilateral movements, both yeah. like bench press, deadlift, squats, bar curls, push downs, pull ups, both arms moving the same direction, both legs doing the same thing. But if you're trying to train an athlete who actually has to move from a certain spot on the ground, then you're going to need to know how one leg behaves in a different fashion than the other. Correct. So, you know, variations of lunges and step ups, single leg movements are going to be a lot more important in a conditioning program and the same for the arms. Can I get one arm and the opposite leg to move in the certain way in a certain timing pattern? Can I start to actually condition my body more than actually strengthen it? I mean, there it should be conditioning and strength program rather than strength and conditioning. Talk about that definition of conditioning it. Talk about that. That's an interesting one. You don't this is this is a cool conversation because most of the people who listen to this podcast will never have heard of this conversation. So talk about that idea of conditioning the body. What does that mean to you? The conditioning the body <laughs> yeah. is so that I can have the appropriate movement patterns required for whatever my desired activity is going to be. And that could include grandma reaching into the dryer to pull out her laundry or put groceries away in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. It, it could be a top NBA player going up for a layup. Mm-hmm. You know, In order to go up for a layup, I need that foot to do something at the certain amount of time yes, for landing on the planet as well as pushing off the planet. Yes, sir. So that really, it, it boils down to two movements in life. Are we going to be landing on planet Earth or are we going to be pushing off of it, right? So now we're talking pronation mechanics of all the joints in the body. When you land with one foot and you're running or getting ready for that layup or even driving from home plate to first base, you need to have the appropriate pronation mechanics to occur as well as driving off the planet to drive forward to the next leg the joints should all do something specifically 
there should they all have a part to play and if one little part or one big part doesn't occur it throws everything off so how do we you know strength is one thing we all have inherent strength within us and it's actually governed by our subconscious, mm -hmm. right? The, the grandmas that lift the, the burning car sure. off an infant or whatever. At any given time, that governing wire can elevate and allow us to produce more force. So, yes, strength is a very valuable component, but we're focusing too much on that and not on the conditioning, which is can I get my body to move right? And not just the muscles, but the joints and all the tissue surrounding it. Can I get them to behave in the certain way? So now we're bringing in the nervous system. Does the nervous system actually regulate the proper amount of information in a timing pattern that allows the body to do what it needs to do? And that's that's really the element that is is truly, I, I'm not gonna say missing, but it's it's skimmed over so quickly in the average workout or conditioning program and here we go we call it conditioning but it's really how much can you lift I mean how many people do you know do a quick little warm-up and, and maybe nowadays they include these correctives as they're mm -hmm. called mm -hmm. and then they go through and they throw on the same crap they've been doing so what good are those correctives they just put you in a place right. to load up the same <clears throat> barbaric movements that are drawing you out of position so now every time you go back into your workout, you're going to have to do this, the, the same correctives and you're continually hoping for a different outcome. But that's just the definition of insanity. Right. So we got to kind of we got to smash that in some ways and say, shouldn't every movement I do be corrective in nature? Yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't this be a way to bring my body back into a place that is at its optimal best? Because everything we're doing in this very given moment, sitting back and talking, is pulling us out of that aligned position. Yes, sir. And yes, now sir. with shelter in place, I mean, how many people have reduced their 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 uh, activity level and not even knowing it spectrum how many people are out there running right now after sitting in the office for right. days and days the running craze has kicked in because of this we're gonna see so many injuries because of that because the body isn't conditioned to do that it'll try its best to get to a point and adapt to the running but it's going to adapt to it with its same compensations and imbalances so yeah that's that's the whole thing about trying to come up with, based on the knowledge I've achieved over the last 30 years of doing what I'm doing, I just needed to start coming up with a different protocol and a different process. So with the help of uh, your guest tomorrow, Gary Ward, yeah. uh, through his mentoring and tutelage, as well as Chris Shrotharan, his his counterpart there, uh, it's, it's been remarkable. That in itself has been a huge game changer for me. It was the it was the missing link sure. in all of the concepts that I have been struggling with. It put so many of the pieces of the puzzle together that I felt like, okay, now is the time to start talking about all this. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting to see when people take anatomy in motion and they really. So one of the things that I I, I instantly recognized. Um, as we were talking, well, it was funny because I remember coming into the class and I remember kind of looking around and this is the martial artist in me. I kind of look around the room and I kind of have a, I take a gauge as to like, okay, who's the player in the room here, right? Like this is the martial artist in me, right? And I, <laughs> and I do this and all, I do this everywhere I go. <clears throat> and so I remember looking around, I'm like, well, that guy looks kind of interesting. I don't, I don't quite get that yet. Like, I don't quite, like, there's something there, but I don't quite know what it is yet. And I think it was, like, after the second or third day when you came around and 
we had the group of misfits in my group. I don't know if you remember us in Canada. We were loud as hell because we were all from the Midwest or the East Coast, right? We were legit yelling at each other. I mean, like the whole nine with the poor Canucks. I'm sure that they, they they told Gary and Chris, like, hey, look, you guys can come back, but those folks can't, right? I mean, it was it was just it was just really funny. But I remember, like, you came by, and out of and we had some really talented people there. So I don't mean to – how about this? For my squirrel brain that really didn't understand the method at all, like I just I, – I could understand what I was hearing, but I couldn't put it into context. You would come by every once in a while with your cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is that you're drinking. We'd go, yeah, well, what, what about this? And it was so simple. It was simple enough for the two dust bunnies in my head to collide. And then, like, I was like, oh, shit, I kind of get that a little bit. And so the, the, the interesting thing that I've, I've seen with people that have taken anatomy in motion and they've, and they've actually put it into use um, for themselves and then for their, with their clients, you know, it's interesting yeah. to watch, like, how transformative. Because I remember when I was there, and, I mean, all of you people heard it because I'm not quiet, when, when – when I first started to look at this idea of center of mass and what Gary was talking about, I was like, well, shit, that's judo. He's yeah. just talking about Kazushi. That's all he's talking about, which just means balance, right? And there was a guy there, and I think you remember who this guy, because um, he was just a jackass. But there was a guy there, and he and he said, well, I took judo. And I was like, well, I, I've never taken judo. I've just studied its principles with jiu-jitsu, right? I was like, well, dude, this is judo. He goes, oh, I, I, I just don't get it, you know, with his arms crossed. And I'm like, w w did you really take judo then? Like, how do you not understand this? Like, all, all we're doing with our feet is break falling. That's all we do when we walk. We just break fall, right? It's just a, a series of us making contact with the ground so we don't fall flat on our face, right? That's And, you know, that brings up a huge point that I try and get across every time is if we can step outside the Western world of movement, yep. I'm not going to call it fitness, but just how the body moves, we're going to see a completely different approach. And, and we've already talked about the Western approach of aesthetics and, and hypertrophy and all that, getting the muscles bigger and isolating and so on. But you look at things like martial arts. Yep. It is all about integrative movement and finding your center and being grounded. Yeah and utilizing as little energy as you actually have to in order to overthrow your opponent. And then we look at yoga. Yep. Yoga's five, six, seven thousand years old, and all of it is, we can call it chakras, right? The, yep. energy, the energy centers of the body. The whole purpose is to realign the body and bring it back to a central place. Yep. Acupuncture, I don't know how old that is. It's gotta be close to a thousand or two thousand years old, if not more. Yep. And what are they trying to do? They're freeing up the energy that flows yep. through their body. Of course, they, they speak in energy. We can talk about joints the same way. Or, or nervous system. The nervous system, exactly. Yep. Trying to have the nervous system work better through using needles and other tools yep. in traditional Chinese medicine. So we've got martial arts, we've got acupuncture, we've got yoga, and nowadays, you know, it, it's a hundred, uh, 125 years old, I think this year, is chiropractic medicine. Yep. You know, we had Dr. Palmer back in the 1800s realize that if you manipulate and pull the body back into alignment, pain goes away. And yet today in, in Western world, we're still trying to pull the body away from that by doing the types of workouts that we're doing right now. So the title of the book is Return to Center. And it's that for a reason, because we want the body to be restored 
and recuperate and return to a more central balanced place where your athletic ability is going to shine the brightest, yeah. not because you're shifted over one side because uh, you've, you've been doing squats and, and one leg is stronger than the other and you're not taking consideration of that by, by trying to balance it out, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, we, we need to change things. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is is that you know, we, we get into such, like with pitching, it's such an asymmetrically dominated movement, right? Yeah. And it's it's hilarious because, you know, you break you break the body into, into two halves. You break the body into the drive leg or the back leg and then the front leg. And the the funny thing about it is that everybody's so focused on the drive leg. And, and what they do is they, well, they, they look at velo. Right, so here's here's kind of the hierarchy from the, the it's and it's legit it's a pyramid it is or, or it's a triangle right but it's not but it's an inverse triangle so it really starts from the top down but that's where they go bottom that's their bottom for them that's where they start right so gotcha. we look at the we look at the we look at velo first we look at hopefully if the guy can throw relatively hard he can actually put the ball where he wants to go and then we start to look at well where is his arm path what is his arm doing and then um so the a guy that i i've trained with down in louisiana um i'm slowly working on getting him to anatomy and motion he brent uh brent porcio down in louisiana from top velocity um he's he's how i started uh putting together drive leg mechanics because he it was it was right at, it was the it was after i was in santa cruz I started working with the pitcher that I work with that kind of did the whole thing with me, right? And so yeah. um, I was already looking for at some 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 drive leg mechanics of the foot um, for my son because he pitches, you know, just in a community level baseball league. And um, but then I got Gabe as a client because I totally bullshitted my way into that, and then I had to figure out how to like actually prove what I was trying to talk about. And so. Um, but I was watching Brent's videos and, and he has all this. I was, I looked at, uh, 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 lower limb mechanics for pitchers. And he was, this is the only guy that I could find it. Right. Uh -huh. But, but he has five phases of, of pitching, um, that, uh, that are relatively similar. I've, I've taken the phases from anatomy and motion and put them into the phases of pitching. Gotcha. And I've actually created a model similar to Gary's for pitching. Oh, right on. Yep. So, um, uh, so, but when you look at they you know they separate it from the from the front leg and the back leg or the drive leg and the lead leg and then they look at the arms and it's hilarious because if a guy throws high i can tell you for a fact now i know what happens if his release point is high every time it's because he's not operating from three points of contact on his foot his his femur is internally rotating too quickly and so what happens then is he has to do more movement with his upper half but because his upper half is trying he's trying not to fall essentially, right? His upper half gets long because that's what we do when we fall. We get long, right? To slow ourselves down like a parachute. Right. And, and so if they, if they really truly understood what the drive leg was doing and the, under, and the importance of it, then they would see that this asymmetrical pattern, you need to be able to get on and off that front foot and you need to be able to get on and off of that back foot, right? You need, to, you need both of them together. It can't be one or the other. Exactly. So, yeah. So, Landing yeah. on the planet and pushing off. I yeah. mean, it's, it's got to be a simpatico kind of thing. Yep. And and it's funny that oftentimes we'll look at one side and not consider the role that the other side is playing. And that other side, if it is not willing 
to push off properly, it wants to stay on planet Earth, then you're going to mess up the mechanics of the other leg. Yep. So you really got to look at everything. You just can't, you, it's great to take a, a camera and have a telephoto lens that yep. I can go right in depth, but also I want a wide yes. angle. I can pull back and look. So that is the thing with a conditioning specialist. That is the that's the craft yes. in, in the art form yes. that, that makes a really incredible conditioning specialist. And it's it's it separates the men from the boys, so, so to speak. If you're constantly in one frame, in one central focus point. You're going to miss out on so many things, the micro and the macro. You've got to continually move back and forth because the devil's in the details. Yep. And the, the exercises that we do can help, but it's not necessarily a solution. The solution's somewhere in there. Yep. You just have to kind of pinpoint it down. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, you and get, it can carry over into every sport. I mean, baseball and golf are probably baseball thing. The baseball pitching mechanics and the golf swing are probably the three top most researched sport or athletic movements in history. Yep. And it and they are so they're they're so identical in many ways. Yep. I mean, Titleist Performance Institute down there, I trained there for a while, and uh, Tom House, I'm sure you yep. know the pitching coach Tom House, right? He's Tom Brady's uh, throwing yep. coach for the NFL as well as a whole bunch of others. Great teacher. He's talking about the same language that you're talking. He's talking about the speed with which the, the ball is released out of the hand is a make or break. And he can tell you based on the, the, the release speed what the body's most likely going to have trouble doing. For sure. Because it, it's all telltale, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's really an interesting thing. I mean, when you look at and, – and so the, the reason why – here, this is a theory I have – the reason why uh, pitching, hitting, and um, and golf swing are the most researched is because it's a finite movement. Yeah. No other places you start and stop predictably in the same place every time, right? So, yes. so a pitcher, a pitcher is always going to take off of his back leg and land on his front leg. He's Correct. always, he's always, a hitter is always going to take off of his back leg and land on his front leg. A golfer is always going to have this. He's he's always going to shift his weight back to his his rear foot and then shift it to his to his front foot. I mean, like this is this is how it just goes, right? I mean, it's 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 a it's a very finite thing. Anywhere else in sport that you look, there's nothing else that finite. And so what happens is, is that you have golf, pitching, and in hitting are all closed, purely closed chain movements. Right? Yeah. Everything else is open chain, and it's open to so many more. Uh, you know, uh, parts of interpretation. But the problem is, is that when, when people look at stuff like this and they look at these closed chain mechanics, they, they don't actually look at them as, as closed chain, as Gary talks about often. They take the idea and then they, they apply an open chain model on it, meaning that, you know, there's, they don't actually take into consideration what the foot does. Yeah, we haven't even spoken about that. Yeah, the open chain model you speak of is, is the historical anatomical yep, correct. process that we've, we've been inundated with. Uh, when we think about a bicep, I look at that as a, a decelerator for rib rotation. Sure. Not as a, a muscle that will flex the elbow. Mm -hmm. You know, muscles move by lengthening first before shortening. Yep. And that in itself turns that whole model on its, on its head. Because if, if for those that are listening and watching, 
most of the anatomy books that we have were based on neuroanatomists' work on cadavers laying on gurneys in the early 1900s. Sure. They'd take electrodes and they'd zap a muscle and they'd see what the body did with it. Well, of course, when you, when you shock a muscle, it's going to seize up and shorten, and then that'll move the joints or move the, the bones, which whatever it did, and then they'd jot down the notes and say, okay, the bicep is an arm curler. But at no point in time did they take a, a live body and put it through the, 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 the fundamental movement of actually walking to truly understand what the muscle's proper role in movement should be. So we have based all of our conditioning programs on half of the story. Yeah. You know, reading a book and only reading the even pages, right. you're only going to get a certain amount of the understanding of what's going on. So that's the other thing we have to bring in is a full comprehensive understanding of what is going on with the muscles. How do they actually move? And what we'll find is that more of the force is generated by deceleration by, than by acceleration. By slowing it in one direction gives us that recoil and yep. that quick little contraction because when a pitcher's throwing, it's not like he's pulling his arm all the way down to his opposite thigh. Or at least he shouldn't There's be. There's a contraction. Yeah. The contraction's occurring all the way behind his body. Yep. And then momentum is yep. followed through with that. Yep. So, you know, we can, if we're only looking at shortening the muscle and pulling, 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 then then we're going to continue to get non-contact sports injuries. Yeah. At elevated rates. Yeah, it's yeah. Especially with our society being more technologically advanced yep. and kids of this generation are staying on their playstations or on their phones and not actually going out and playing, yep. which is a completely, you know, we could do another episode on that. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that idea of, um, you know, not understanding, and it's interesting because I went to massage therapy school uh, in 97. So, you know, it's hilarious when I came back from anatomy and motion, and I was kind of starting to go down this road anyways. But when I came back from anatomy and motion, I literally threw tissue out the window. Like, I mean, because yeah. I, I recognized that the Just skeleton, the yeah, yeah, the Just skeleton rules the, the road. Joints. Yeah. It, That's the thing. You know, there's uh, how many, how many muscles, here's trivia time for your listeners, how many muscles cross the pelvis, the hips? Right. You got 57 of them. Right. But how many how many people really think about, oh, well, I'm just going to hit the, the butt, the hamstrings, and the quads? Right. I, I've asked, actually, people in our field how many muscles, and they'll say things like six. Sure. Like, no, there's so many more. But the point is, is that how many bones are there? Well, I've got one pelvis. Right. I've got my spine, and I've got my legs. Yep. So it sure would be easier to watch the bones move. Yep. Because if the muscles are attached to the bones, as long as the bones are moving the way they should, then the muscles must be doing what they should yep. to allow that movement to occur. Yeah. So that was a huge kind of shift. And, and like you say, as soon as you watch the joints and watch the bones, just let the muscles do whatever they want. Don't be concerned with uh, – today in today's industry, the glute medius <laughs> is the print for World War You know, three. Right. It's yeah. just like – all the world's problems can be can be uh, focused on the psoas major. Like, that, that's ridiculous. Right. You're yeah. going to pick on one muscle out of 635 and tell me that's the problem. We need to strengthen that, and all your problems will become null and void. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because um, in April, I taught 
300 massage therapists how to take their practice online and I had 90 people sign up for a, a month-long course with me a, a, a four-week course with me and I basically taught them cogging motions and started to show them and introduce them to like the idea that the skeleton rules the road and part of my uh, part of my my demonstration was I and I know this from jiu-jitsu my jiu-jitsu instructor is probably one of the best biomechanists I've ever met now, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing most of the time. When I ask him about something, like, I, I'll get super excited. He'll show something, and I'll get super excited. My coach, coach, he's like, yeah, I don't know. I just grab a hold of it and spin real quick. I don't know. But when you, when you go with – when you train with Greg, one of the things that you find is that he has to use, like, tenths of pounds of pressure to submit you because he is so good at lining the skeleton up in places where the skeleton can no longer move. That's it. I mean, it is it is it is frightening to me when he like all of a sudden he'll have my arm and I think I'm good and then all of a sudden I feel like oh shit, I have no more space in here. So, I'm legit tapping not because I'm tired of the position, I'm legit tapping because my arm's going to break. Right? Amazing. Yeah. I uh, I studied Aikido for some time for and sure. I'm hoping to get back into it. It was the same thing. You get these these seventy-year-old little ladies that suddenly grab your wrist, and yeah. you, you are being thrown across the room yeah. with pleasure. Yeah. Or you are hitting the mat so quickly that you don't even know what happened. But really, they have just fine-tuned their ability to move the joints. Yep. And they're not struggling with it nope. because the muscles, the muscles have nothing. There's nothing my muscles can do when my bones move in a certain way. Right. Other than just allow it to happen. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and when I, when I started to look at that, I was like, oh, well, you know, the, well, I, I try to tell people cause they ask me about what I do. And I'm like, well, I, I, I do jujitsu with a body, but I just do it in a healing capacity. I don't do it to tear the body down. Now, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 to noon, I do it in a, well, I try to do it in a, in a, in a tearing down capacity. Most of the time the tearing down happens to me and I'm doing a lot of tapping like a sewing machine, but at least I study the idea of it. Right. And so, so, but it is, it's, it's just this idea and it's a pretty once it's funny when you see, cause I, you know, you, when you work with guys enough, it's funny to see the athletes kind of light bulb go off in their head. Right. Like all of a sudden, it it makes sense to them. I had one of the guys over to the house yesterday, and we were working on some stuff. And he said to me, he says, uh, he's like, I finally, after about three months now, I I I understand what you're starting. I'm starting to understand what you're talking about. And wow. I was like, well, damn, because it took me about a year and a half to figure out anatomy and motion, right? Like, and not and it, not even it, not even figure it out. Just just get it a little bit, right? I hear you. You it's know, a lot. So, so, but it's, it's been, it's, it's pretty cool to when they get that aha moment and then they can, because then they, they, they feel it all along, but all of a sudden they start to understand the sequencing of what's start, starting to happen. And then this ridiculously complex situation and idea starts to become more and more simple because now you're just looking for what moves too much and what doesn't move enough. You That's know? it. I mean, uh, honestly, I, I relate this back. My son is a black belt in karate. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, 13, but a couple of years ago he achieved that junior ranking, yeah. and his sensei is is just the master. He's been training for his entire sure. life, and he's probably in his 70s now. His black belt is actually white. Yep, yep, and yep. So I just I love that kind of as an analogy where we have to go through. You you are you are taught 
everything you need to know, like in kindergarten. Yep. All the basics for life you are taught at the in inception of this journey. And then you go through complexity after complexity, learning the finer points of everything, and then it all comes back around to being a white belt again. Yep. So he had gone through years and years of being a black belt, but his black belt had been worn so much yep. that the black had actually faded, and it's more white than it is black. Yep. So it's the same thing with, with this journey with understanding biomechanics and conditioning and so on. I mean, 30 years of going through complexities and, and dogma and truths and principles and, and science and opinions, all it boils back down to is what's moving like it should. Right. What's moving not enough right. and what's moving too much. Right. Can we just get it all to kind of cooperate so that – it's moving just the way it should. And then when you do that, instantly, not like weeks of conditioning or rehab or anything, like at the speed that nerve information travels through the body. Which is pretty fast, I hear. You can have it. Yeah, I hear nerve speed travels pretty fast, I think. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. some yeah. more than others. Yeah. <laughs> For you and I, it's a little slower, but for most a people, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and that's yellow. Yeah, it's it's funny because, and I'll talk about this with Gary tomorrow when I when I interview him. But one of the watershed moments for me was when we were sitting in Vancouver. I don't know if you remember this. He was doing something with a guy. I think it was a guy's. It was like his second toe, or maybe it was his big toe. And all of a sudden, like something just I don't even know. Like it was just not even right what happened, right? And I looked at it. And I was like, that's some bullshit, right? And he goes, he kind of looked at me like, what? I was like, that's stuff that you hear people talk about. But that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> like, if I wasn't here and you told me that that happened, I would call you a liar. But it did, because we're looking at the speed of nerve. Exactly. I mean, honestly, it's just so remarkable that you find... You find that place in somebody's body that's the linchpin. Yep. And you hunt it down the rabbit hole and you figure you get to that point through whatever means you do and you get that one joint to start experiencing movement and then suddenly somewhere seemingly yep. unconnected in the body begins to to work better. I have uh, I you know I relate a story in the book about this hairdresser nearby unfortunately out of business now yeah. uh, with the current state of affairs she came in uh, a couple of years ago and she could not lift her arm yeah. she had practically frozen shoulders she could raise it but with tremendous pain she couldn't reach back behind her and so on and of course being a hairdresser if she couldn't do that she right. was going to be out of uh, out of work yeah. so she went home early that day came back and saw me and we just talked about what's been going on how's this happening? It just kind of suddenly came on. It wasn't like she hit it or hurt it or wrenched it. It was just something that over time had been worse and worse. And now it got to the point where she couldn't lift it up. So we talked about what was going on and she had a whole bunch of different things in her history, uh, but it all boiled down to the fact that she had broken her big toe on her left foot and had to have pins inserted yep. in. And then she tripped uh, after that and the pins became dislodged oh out of her God. foot. And she had to get them removed. Oh my god! And so, how much, how much confidence would you think she would have on putting weight onto that area of her body right. from that point on? So now she's having to kind of consider how to move yep. with a foot where the last time you put a lot of weight on it, pins came shooting out. And so we just got that foot, that toe to start to bear a little bit more weight, and it was pain free by that point in time. But she just started to work with that, and her shoulder started 
to, yep. to be able to raise up over shoulder height. And then we started to do a couple more things with that just to get the foot moving. And suddenly her arm was fully overhead without any pain and she could reach back like she was in the front seat of her car going for the purse in the yep. back seat. She said she, is, she hasn't been able to do that in years. And that took just minutes. You yep. just get the right thing to click in and suddenly something else starts working the way it should because now the entire integrative kinematic sequencing of the body is reintegrated and things aren't holding back anymore for fear of falling off or whatever. Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah, yeah, yeah people call it magic and of course, when if you say that in the course, you're like, oh my God, that's magic. He'll turn and say, that's bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> right, like, right, right. Magic, it's science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's anatomy, it's physics. It's yeah. all based in science. It's not, hey, you know, I know in California it's legal to have dispensaries and everything, <laughs> and you can spin your crystals and burn your incense and everything, right. but that's, it's nothing like right. that. Right, yeah, yeah. This is how do joints move? Yeah. Can we, can we observe it in real time, and what it's supposed to do, is it doing that? And if it's not, how do we get it to experience what it should be doing? It's, it's just that simple. Yeah, it, it's funny. One of the guys I work with right now, um, he had, when he was in high school, he had a medial, M or I'm sorry, a medial MCL. No shit, Sean, he had a medial MCL tear. Anyways, he had, a, he had, <laughs> he had an MCL tear, and, um, but he didn't, get it, he didn't get it operated on. And uh, we were talking the other day about it, and if he told me that he had the MCL tear, I don't remember, but I don't think he had, right? Probably because for him it wasn't sig significant, and so one of his issues is that he j like he just couldn't get onto his drive leg, or I'm sorry, he just couldn't get onto his front foot, right? And now this this kid is a mass of humanity. He is a big kid, and uh -huh. when you looked at his mechanics, he never used his legs, and you know, I mean, he's topped 92 or 93, right? But but his velo has dipped considerably. He's had some elbow issues. Thank God he hasn't blown his UCL up at previous to this. And then he's also had um, last season he had a bunch of low back pain um, while he was at school. And so um, he he came to work with me over the spring. And one of the first sessions he said to me he goes, "Well, I've never been able to get onto my front leg." And the the act of getting him the act of having him use his drive leg more. And getting onto his front leg has taken a very long arm angle, shortened it up a ton. I've not even we've done some some integrative work into some scapular work and stuff like that, but we've not. I, I haven't told him, by the way, like, hey, Alec, you've got to you've got to keep that actually rotating while you're riding down the mountain, or else blah 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 blah. It's just happening for him. And now, like, but the thing that that I, I want to come back to with that is like, and when he told me he had that MCL, I was like, hey man, like. You tore an MCL. Is it a reason that you wouldn't want to get onto your front leg? Like, <laughs> I mean, think about that for a moment. I know that you didn't get a surgical place and it doesn't hurt, but your brain hasn't forgotten about that, man. Exactly. And, you know, I, I don't want to throw uh, rehab under the bus yeah. in any way. There's some spectacular rehab specialist, physical therapist out there in the world. Yeah. Uh, however, even their approach on the mainstream way in which they're doing physical therapy is very similar to how strength conditioning specialists are doing it across the nation right now. The conventional way is very symptom-based approach. Yep. If you've got something going on with your MCL, we're gonna do a whole bunch of open chain movement, we may balance and so on, but they're not actually taking them through the proper gait mechanics 
what should that knee be doing when this foot is doing that? Yep. And could it be that the MCL blew out potentially because somewhere else wasn't doing what it should? And even though the pain has gone away and the surgery has been done for repair and the PT sessions are over, the underlying cause of that may still be inherent within the system. Yep. And therefore, they're just setting themselves up for a repeat or a different injury altogether. For sure. So how many how many baseball players do you can you kind of just think of who are always on the injured track? Yep. Like their time spent on the diamond is so small compared to how much time they've been spent on injured reserve. I mean, it's ridiculous. I know within football, ACL for the NFL is somewhere around 11%. Sure. That means 11% of all NFL players are going to come, not with a career-ending ACL problem, right. but they're going to be missing games at least because of ACL tears or ACL trouble. Yep. 11%. That's one out of every 10 players in the NFL. Right. And that's been going on for years. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not to say that I want to be a strength conditioning coach for any NFL team, although if the Patriots want to call me, I'm fine with going and visiting them. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Even the Buccaneers these days, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> right now. Just Alex is a good guy. I'd love to work with him. But, you know, yep. if, if you've got million-dollar athletes and you've got an 11% incident rate on losing those players – shouldn't we look at the conditioning of those athletes? Yeah. And I have seen some of the conditioning players put out by some of those NFL teams on and off season. They don't let them out very often, but every now and then they come across my desk and I just keep not, I'm just shaking my head and scratching, scratching my scalp going, what, what's going on here? Yeah. It's a, I think it's a really tough thing. I mean, so when, cause I've had people, you know, as this pitching nerd thing has popped up, people are like, so you want to get hired by a team. And I, I have to say this because I, I interviewed an athletic trainer for the Brewers. And by the way, the Brewers have a fantastic athletic athletic program. Like their their athletic training program. Uh, when when I talked to uh, to Dave, um, man, they're so cohesive as a, as a unit. And that's what is spectacular to me, the cohesiveness as a unit, right? And so... He, uh, he, he, if I don't say this, he'll reach out to me because he's going to listen to this. And he's going to say, I told you, not every team is like that. But, 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 I think the Brewers are kind of an outlier in professional sports, right? Where there's this cohesiveness. Because not yeah. it doesn't happen mostly. But anyways. No. But people. I, I got to say, yeah, I don't want to generalize. And yeah. I, 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 I have a tendency to do that. And I don't mean to. But, yeah, there's some amazing conditioning uh, specialists and athletic trainers out there in the world of professional sports. So it's not always happening. But we do have to look at the trend. Yeah, and we do have to look. Yes, yes, yes. So, but but no, I don't want to work with a, a pro team. And here's why I don't want to work with the pro team, right? Uh, maybe the Brewers, and it's close enough. And my cousin lives in Milwaukee, and I love that city. So, you know, um, but but the, 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 thing with, the thing with it is, is that, like, oftentimes, what do you have? Well, first of all, it's a, it's, it can be oftentimes a very unstable position because it changes like the, the seasons. You know, if you're on a spectacular team like the Detroit Lions, which has a long, rich winning history, you know, okay. and, and no coaching changes ever, right? I mean, like... The, now I understand your bitterness. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right? You know, like, like the, yeah, as I'm drinking out of my letdown, you know, water glass here. So... Um, <laughs> But if you're on a on a you know on a on a just a prolific program like with the, like the letdowns, then what winds up happening is is that 
as the seasons change, the coaching staffs change. And as the coaching staffs change, then a lot of times they clean house, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I don't want to be in a position where people are protecting their jobs. Because, by the way, those guys get paid okay, I hear, right? The, the, the people that work with the pro sports teams. So anytime that you yeah. get paid that amount of money, you're going to want to protect it on some level, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. And I don't like... I don't want that. I don't want to be in a position where I can't adapt and, and change, especially when I get into new information that I'm like, oh, yeah, what I was doing before was good, but now this is much better. And I have the I have the wisdom to say that over the last 20 years of practice, right? Like sure. when I when I first got in to massage and I was like, oh, the elbow's a good thing to stick into somebody's ass to release a glute. Like that was that was monumental at the time. But I kind of know that, right? You know, I mean, that's not like a that's not like a basic concept anymore for me. So, so you know, I, I think that that um, yeah, th- th- it's interesting because like, and when when I was talking to Brent from Top Velocity, we were we were talking about the people who kind of built this top down model with pitching and, and with the weighted balls and the plyo balls. Um, man, that that should be when when I have you here, um, when, when we do when we when I have you here to like to to, to come out to teach your course. Dude, we need to like sit down with that idea and really kind of hash it out, um, because uh, well, I don't you you seem like you're a nice enough guy. I, I don't mind pissing off a bunch of people. Um, so <laughs> pissing off like a lot of the baseball community is kind of my job right now, and oh, that good. that that will be a big. I, I really want to seriously talk to you about that because that just popped into my head. But uh, anyways, so but the people with these weighted balls and, and they're like flat earthers, man. Like it, uh-huh. like the look, bro, the stats. Say, not me, stats, numbers. Like, this is the thing. And by the way, like, the people that are doing this have no vested interest in it. They're just saying, hey, look, for every, you know, from for every percentage that you don't use your drive leg and you use your upper half, here's the percentage of an arm injury is there. So why in the hell are we... Somebody, rather than put resistance in their hand, I would have them with a breathing tube in a deep swimming pool with maybe some type of weighted wetsuit. Sure. Where, you know, if you want resistance, you better put it in the whole body. Yeah, dude. Because just by throwing it onto the end range, <laughs> uh, oh, it's, it, it, you're just, you're asking for nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when I tell people, here, if you'd like to tear you, your UCL, I can do it really quickly. I'll put you on the ground. I'll trap the clavicle. I'll trap the humerus. I'll trap the scapula. And then we'll let your arm go out past 90. And then I'll put my arm underneath yours so it traps the elbow. And I'll just spin it really quick. That's essentially what happens. Sounds great. Yeah, that's what happens with pitching, though. When a guy gets his when a guy gets his upper half too far ahead of his tr- of his arm, what happens? That 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 humerus and that scapula get trapped, and what is the only thing left now? That poor little UCL. That's the only thing left. Yep. You know. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I think uh, everyone's looking for the 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 new fix. The, oh, the, the gadgets uh, are crazy. The tool. Dude. And and they're they're hoping for their invention to be the best, and so they of course they're going to promote it. And some of the absurd things. I mean, I don't know how many fitness conventions and conferences you go to with the exhibit halls, but oh, yeah. sometimes I went to one. I was presenting at one in San Diego last year, kind of like this world conference. I won't say the name to, but sure. I'm walking through there, and uh, honestly, it was like it, it it should have been. It was a parody of fitness. Is really what it was. It was. It was like there was these drumsticks. They were oh doing my god, dude. drumming 
and a whole bunch of other ridiculous things. Of course, you had scantily clad, beautiful oh, individuals, for sure. yeah. men and women. They're promoting it because then the your mind is going to yep. say, well, if if they're doing it, oh and man, look at me. Look like that, that's probably how they got into shape to begin with. Yeah, but for sure, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, they. So they, yeah, we're seeing that permeate the sports world too. Yeah, I mean, they 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 found a, a stability ball. And they and they were you know very out of shape and deconditioned. Um, they picked up a couple drumsticks and then they just spent the next three hours pounding on the stability ball with the drumsticks. And magically enough, they could appear on the cover of Men's Fitness or Muscle and Fitness or Women's Health. Or I mean, like no yeah. problem. It was just three hours of drumming on the stability ball. That was all. I'm just waiting for somebody to go to an adult bookstore, grab a whole bunch of sex toys, and go to the gym and say, "I've got these I've got great the next new thing. devices." And it yeah, feels a hell of a lot better too, by the way. It's yeah. kind of like a shaker weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you can actually put it between your teeth, and yes. that really will give you jawline amazing things to offer. For sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's it's, it's going to happen. I, I, one of your listeners. Well, that's not a bad idea. Well, Maybe I don't know, do man. That. I think we're onto something here. I think we got the next million dollar yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Call so, Ron Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> so well. We've been on for a bit. I don't want to take up any more of your time because uh, I value it and I really appreciate you uh, doing this. Um, I think we have a part two when, when I have you out, um, and we, you know, we kind of maybe we just do something that's live. You know what I mean? Because um, because I think that uh, as if people can't tell. Well, first of all, I'm extremely long winded. Um, people are like, "Can you do shorter podcasts?" I'm like, "Have you talked to me for more than five minutes?" Like Mar- Marcia says, you're a very nonlinear thinker. You'll get to your point. Sometimes it takes you a while and sometimes it doesn't, right? Well, you didn't do bad. Hour and a half and I think you nailed it. Yeah, no, I think, I think we're, I, we got the point. Uh, by Rocky's book, that's the point, right? Here, you, here so, I'll give you a shameless, my, my shameless plug. Yeah. There's the copy of it right there. Return to center. You can go to mascotbooks.com. Yep. Uh, beginning of June, it'll actually be on all major booksellers like Sweet. Amazon. You can go there and order it right now through Amazon. It, they won't ship it until June 2nd. But if you want more information for myself, rockysnyder.com, or just type in Rocky Santa Cruz on your Google window, and something should pop up there. Yeah, and so you're on the you're on the Facebook and the Instagram and those things there too. So what are your what what are good ways for people to find you other than your website, Rock? Definitely. Uh, all the social media, for the most part, LinkedIn, they can uh, try and connect with me that way, as well as Instagram, Rocky Snyder. There's a little underscore between the names. As well as Facebook, we've got uh, Rocky's Fitness Center yeah. fan page. Or just You can connect with me through Rocky Snyder also. With the way things are here in my studio, we have had our doors physically locked since March 16th, yeah. but virtually we've been operating and we do online training as well as complimentary group classes. My staff of trainers and myself for seniors and kids PE classes for homeschooling yeah. the families, as well as uh, athletic conditioning a little bit. This week we focused on tennis. So I, I, I rarely would say this. And so I want to give, if you are remotely close to Rocky, and I rarely say this. You will not hear me say this very often. I won't give ringing endorsements very often like this, even though he has an awful taste in baseball teams. It, uh, I'm yeah, gonna... we didn't even get... <laughs> we we're out of time for that one. I know, right? I know. Did you see how I know? To... I, I very cleverly packaged that in so we couldn't talk about that team. Um, nice. so, so, But seriously, uh, if you're anywhere close to Rocky 
and you want to move better, you owe it to yourself to get into Santa Cruz, go have a cup of coffee, go over to the gym, get some consulting with Rocky. Um, and if, you, if you're if you looking for CEU courses that you want to take that are going to really, really help you to change your paradigm, I highly suggest, A, getting Rocky's book. And when he starts to march out stuff and when he comes to Minneapolis, like get on the bus, Gus, and do it. Because I, I've, I've been nothing but impressed with Rocky since I've known him. Um, and, and also if I was to move anywhere and I'm not a very good employee, I wouldn't be a very good employee for most people unless I bought in and Rocky's got a hell of a model and I would buy into this very well. And I would be a very good, uh, employee for Rocky, but I, I don't see that very often. Like I, when I listen to people talk, I don't go, man, I would love to work with that guy or for that guy. Right. I don't see that very often. So, so I, I can right. say that. Thank you. Send so, your resume and cover letter. We'll talk. And you know, the nice thing about this, Sean, is is uh, we, traditionally we, as studio owners, have maybe a five mile radius yeah, that sure. reach out to our customers. Eighty percent of the people that come into our location live within five miles. But these days, yep. that's not the case. The the border or boundary is more language based. So I do not speak Spanish or French very well. Right. I'll get by, but English is my main one. In yeah. fact, I think I got a degree in it, so I, oh, I yeah. should know. Uh, so I have clients throughout, well, I'll say the world, but uh, Canada, the U.S., yep. a little bit in Europe. So if there's somebody out there that's got some aches and pains, chronic and acute, they've For tried sure. modalities, yeah, just, just look me up. I'm happy to work with you. Yeah, cool. All right, Rock, thanks so much. I appreciate you, buddy. I, I, really, I was really excited about this this morning, so I'm glad we got to do it. Me too. I All had right. a great time. All right, man. Thanks. Talk to you soon. You got it. Yep. Thanks for listening to Pitching Nerd Show. To grow the Pitching Nerd crew, do me a favor. Rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me to get to better guests and more opportunities for the podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you guys soon.